This week on Twip Weddings, we continue our discussion about how we approach typical wedding day. On this episode, we cover all of the events after the ceremony, including bridal party formals, cocktail hour, and the reception. Plus, our picks of the week, and we answer another listener question. All this and more on Twip Weddings. And welcome back to another episode of Twip Weddings. Once again, I'm your one of your co-hosts, Bruce Clark, and joining me this week, we're, we're just the two Mouseketeers, Mr. Robert Evans. Good morning. Good morning. So Mr. Caparici is, uh, I don't know, we can make up some rumor about where he is, but let's say he's out on a tractor planting seeds to sprout something new. Right. <laughs> so Brian isn't joining us this week, so it's just, uh, you'll have to put up with just me and Robert uh, this week. So how are things in your world? Very good. Um, just got home from my marathon trip. I saw you and Brian at WPPI, and that was the beginning of it. I was gone 17 days. And just got home uh, Monday evening, just in order to be home for two days to leave on Thursday morning for a destination wedding. Crazy, crazy schedule. Yeah, I was uh, back from WPPI myself, and uh, yeah, just getting ready. Wedding scene's going to start up here fairly soon, and uh, got some engagement shoots coming up, so that's kind of what's new in my world, so... But um, I want to give a shout-out before we kind of get into the show. I want to give a little a little shout-out. So uh, our friends uh, Andy Buscemi and Neil Urban uh, gave us a little uh, shout-out, and I wanted to return the favor and thank them for listening to, to Troop Weddings. Um, they've actually launched a new uh, podcast as well. So if you like consuming podcasts, uh, Andy and Neil also have one called Wedding Photographers Unite. And so they came across our podcast and sent, were kind enough to send us an email and uh, acknowledge that we've got a new podcast out. So if you want to give them a listen, they're over at WeddingPhotographersUnite.com. So more podcasting goodness. Seems like we're all the cool kids are doing it now, Robert. They're all doing it. <laughs> awesome. Well, welcome back to the, the show. Um, as always, we want to remind you, before we kind of get into today's uh, topic, which is going to be a continuation from last week's uh, show, um, we want to remind you kind of how you can get in touch with us. So, of course best way if you head on over to our website at thisweekinphoto.com slash weddings you'll find links to all the past episodes um, you can also subscribe to the show on iTunes if you want to email us you can email us at twipwed at thisweekinphoto.com or follow us on Instagram at twipwed and post on social media use the hashtag twipwed and so I mentioned that this week is going to be a continuation of our discussion that we had a couple weeks ago, which was on sort of the wedding day walkthrough. And this is part two of that uh, discussion, so we're going to get into that in a little bit. But before we do, of course, we want to uh, start with our usual uh, segments that we have, and our first uh, is our Picks of the Week. In our Picks of the Week uh, segment, each week we're going to share a photography-related item that we think would be a benefit for other wedding photographers to check out. So... Mr. Evans, what have you got for us this week? So my pick of the week is uh, Capture One software, uh, which basically is a raw image processor uh, by Capture One or Phase One. A lot of people know them as that. Um, and I actually did a demo with them at WPPI, and uh, it was a tethering demo, uh, specifically showing how Sony cameras tether uh, right into it. Um, but then became aware that, it, you know, it's much like Lightroom, uh, or better in my opinion. That's why it's my pick of the week. Um, and I kind of dug into it a little bit, and I was like, wow, I really liked the color management in it a little bit better. It seemed a little bit quicker. Um, and 
again, for Sony users, Sony camera users, as you guys know, I'm a Sony artisan and a Sony fan. Um, and you can actually get the pro version of this uh, for $30, which is normally $300. <clears throat> so for those of you who shoot Sony, uh, it's a really great value. Um, there is a, an express version. Um, I believe that anybody can download that's, that's actually free. Um, and it just has a few less tools in it than the pro version does. But if you want to give it a check it out and just see what the interface looks like or any of that, I would just go to uh, Capture One uh, and download that bad boy. Very cool. I, I was going to check it out. I heard a lot of buzz about it at, at WPPI. A lot of people seem to be talking about Capture One. I'm hearing more and more uh, you know, about Capture One. So I'm curious to kind of check it out and, and see. Um, it's, it's, it's always one of those struggles. Like, do you want to introduce something new into your workflow and have to another piece of software you know, to learn? But if there's, if there's efficiencies you can gain by it, it's definitely something... Yeah, I thought it was a little quicker. The you know the functionalities, of course, you know you can do all the same things, um, but I really like the way the color management was. There's kind of like a wheel so that you can drag the color around. There's some great skin tone adjustments um, and just a few other things. And and I've barely scratched the surface myself. I'm sure on what it can do, uh, so I'm continuing to play with it. But I'm really liking it. Nice. Yeah, I know a lot of people have also been talking about it, I think, too, because they're looking for alternatives to Aperture, of course, with Apple kind of um, closing the closing the door on Aperture and moving into their Photos app. There's a lot of people, you know, a lot of photographers that were using Aperture, um, and they're looking, you know, they're kind of the, uh, the nomads wandering the desert, wondering where where should we go next and looking for another solution. So really Light, Lightroom was kind of the only one, but so it's good to know that, you know, Capture One is uh, is a good alternative. How is it with the tethering? I know one of the issues I use tethering, um, sometimes if I'm shooting in studio, and one of the issues I find with Lightroom is if you if something becomes unplugged, or I'm always constantly having to, like, restart, um, you know, when I'm doing tethered capture. How, how did, What was your experience using the tethered? It was great. I mean, I basically, the, what the demonstration that we did in the Sony booth, um, I took pictures uh, of a model and tethered them right. You know, they went up on the screen so people could see them. And then he said, you know, so the, for the tethering part is smooth. I mean, you just take pictures and boom, they show up. Um, so that part of it was great. I know they do um, the tethering tools that you can get. They do make little clips that doesn't pull out of the camera and things like that if you were having that issue. But um, I don't tether, but... Um, I could see, like, for those that did, I mean, you can, of course, you know, fire and focus the camera and do all sorts of things right from your laptop. They also have an app, um, I forget, that goes with it. I'm sure you can find it on the side. I'm just escaping me the name of it right now that's free. But let's say you wanted um, those images, you know, you're doing a commercial shoot and you wanted those images to go to, like, an iPad so that, you know, your client can sit there and look at them, and that does that as well. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, that's off to check it out. I'm kind of holding out for Lightroom Six, which is I, I heard coming out later this month, and I heard there's going to be some some speed improvements in it, which is good. So hopefully that's coming down yeah. the pipe really soon as well. So all kinds of good stuff out there for photographers to check out. Well, my pick of the week this week kind of has to do with our wedding day workflow because we, we talked about kind of what gear we bring with us and to, to a typical wedding day. And so I want to make my pick of the week the bag that I carry with me. So for the first few years, I used to carry... Um, well, I still do, but I carry too much gear. And I used to bring a, a backpack. I had a, a low-pro backpack, 
which was great for carrying all my gear, but I found it wasn't terribly convenient on the wedding day as far as like getting into the bag and getting, if I had to pull a lens out or something like that, a backpack, just, it just wasn't convenient at all. So I searched and searched and searched for a bag that was going to work really well for me. And if you're watching the video, I'm going to share my screen so you can see that I'm going to go to LowPro's website. And this is the bag that I'm using. Um, this is It's called the Nova 200 AW. And it is a basically like a shoulder bag um, with a top flap that opens up. And I can carry about six lenses in this bag. Um, so usually my typical setup is that I'll have um, two, you know, two bodies on me. And there's a little uh, video here, not video, but another picture. You can see kind of the inside of the bag if you're watching the video. If not, just head on over. I'll put a link in the show notes to this and you can check it out. But um, I usually, you know, carry two bodies on me on my Holdfast straps and then I'll carry this bag with me and I find this is pretty much all I need with me for most of the wedding day I can pack you know flashes in here I can pack uh, my lenses I can pack you know any extra memory cards batteries all that kind of stuff that I need with me and it all fits in this bag and it's not too heavy the thing I like about that top opening bag is that you know it's really easy I can pop it down or set it down somewhere open the top up and get at anything that I need to get at really easily That's a really so. good price yeah, it's like 165 bucks. I think I might have even got it on sale one day or something like that. So it's not too, too expensive. And I found the low pro bags, um, just their build quality is really, really good. Um, and they're really good about if anything, you know, they have, I think they have a lifetime guarantee on stuff. So if anything, you know, like a buckle breaks or a zipper breaks, something like that, they'll replace it. I had buckles break on my backpack and I just contacted them and they shipped me out like a new buckle right away. So, so I found the low pro bags really, really uh, good. So that's, that's my pick. What do you use for a bag? I have uh, my two main bags right now are Tamarack bags. Um, I switched to those a little while ago because um, the same thing. I was sort of looking for something to, to fit my needs. Um, I had a a roller bag. I had a Think Tank before, which I loved. It was a great bag. Um, and then the Tamarack bags, just the you know, I travel so much. I need a roller bag that fits in the overhead. And the Tamarack bag was just a little bit smaller and fit a little bit better, not quite as deep as the Think Tank. Um, but I really like, I mean, they're both comparable bags, but I really like the Tamarack bag. And one, the second one that I really like is a shoulder bag like that. It's, But then it had a slot right in the front of it for my laptop, um, which is really cool. So it's like basically looks like a traditional Tamarack bag that you think, you know, shoulder bag, but then now they have a slot in the front for the, for the laptop, which I really like. So... Um, I'm really taking a lot of gear. Then I have both those bags, uh, and those both can still come on the plane with me um, and go into the overhead. They get a little heavy walking through the airport, but that's nice with the roller bag as I put the other one on top of that. You know, the Tamarack bag has a slot where you can slide it over the handle and it doesn't fall off. Um, so. Yeah, you do a lot of destination stuff, so you have to make sure that you know you've got stuff that works well to travel and get on airplanes. I have to be mobile, and I have to be. It has to be accessible, like you said. So those both work really well for me. Yeah, awesome. We could, again, we could probably have a whole show on bags. <laughs> Just the bag. We'll do the bag show, the bag episode, because yeah, we're. I'm always looking at bags and looking at different things, and you probably, I probably have a closet full of bags that. I don't know. Either I thought would work, and then used for a while, and then realized it wasn't going to work. Yeah, they need like a bag rental service where you could like rent bags to try them. Yeah, that's before you buy them, a try before you buy bag rental service. Somebody do that. Somebody get on that. Well, you think that each manufacturer might have like a little 
you know, way to do that. Yeah. So low, low pro or Tamarack or any of those guys, if you're listening, this is our idea. We'll patent it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So some good picks. Again, we'll have links to those in the show notes. Um, so next we've got our listener question and each week we're going to choose a listener question to answer on the show. So this week the question is from Keely. Keely, and this kind of fits in where we're going today, and Keely asks, she's looking for some tips for getting natural smiles. Um, she's got a, a couple for a wedding that's coming up, and they just informed her that they want 90% of the photos of them looking at the camera or each other and smiling, which is kind of opposite of her style. So she's looking for some tips and some advice to kind of get some natural-looking expressions and smiles from her couples. Robert, what would you say to Keely? Well... And this can obviously segue into, like you said, what we're going to talk about today. Um, I guess just be yourself. I mean, I am—I remember when I was training to be a wedding photographer back in the day, and one of the guys that I trained with, I mean, this guy like would say, "All right, everybody, on three, say pizza." And Was I'm, that Moses? <laughs> Moses, right? Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, "Oh my gosh, I so not me. I cannot do that." How am I going to do this job? He even had a little like squeaky rubber chicken in his bag that he busted out and put on top of the lens. And I was like, this guy's a dork. <laughs> and I was like, I cannot do that. And I, you know, I guess I just developed my own style. But one of the things that I get a lot of comments on from people, and I knew it naturally, and I, it's nothing that I've ever thought about it. But when I'm behind the camera and I'm looking at them, and I want them to smile, especially for family portraits. I smile at them. You know, I'm like, hey, you guys look over here. And I have a big smile on my face, and I smile at them. And people have commented many times saying that, well, it's so hard not to smile because you're smiling, you know. So that's kind of something that I've heard. Um, you can, I think, be try to be a little bit funny if it's your personality, but appropriate, I think. Uh, you know, I've heard some inappropriate things said uh, from other photographers over the years and stories and things like that. But, you know, be appropriate. And the other uh, thing that I use, especially when I'm doing, well, it doesn't whether they're smaller groups or big groups, but it especially works well if you're just doing, like, your bridesmaids, you know, your ones and twos, maybe three, four people at the most. I will take that formal photo, um, say, all right, everyone, you know, line them up, make sure they look good, take that picture, and then... I have, I'm like, hey, you guys, put your arms around each other. Give each other a little hug. You know, especially with two girls or mom and daughter, or mom, you know, bride and dad. I say give each other just a little hug. And people hug and they smile. You don't have to say anything. You just have to watch for it and take the photo. You don't even have to count. You know, you don't have to go, all right, on three, everyone smile. You know, I'll just say, all right, you know, I'll take a couple of the traditional photos, I guess, if you will, and then I'll say, all right, you guys, give each other a little hug. Just just look right here and give each other a hug. And I make sure that it's spontaneous, and they, they give each other a hug, and people smile, and I take the picture. So those are kind of my techniques um, of how I get it done. Those are some good tips. I like those. Yeah, for us, I think it's... Getting to know your couple um, is so key, and the engage. I think that for us starts. I mean, it starts when we first meet with the couple, right? And taking right. time to learn about them and who they are, and you know, we're always listening and trying to pick up on things that they're interested in and things that they like, so that when we're when we're in the in that moment and shooting with them, we can maybe bring up a, a funny a funny story or something that we heard. I'm always very carefully listening, particularly in the mornings when the girls are all getting ready. 
I'm listening for funny things that might happen or little inside jokes and things. I try to pick up on those and then find ways to maybe pull those out and, and use them. And then I find it, it evokes kind of a natural laugh from them or, you know, kind of a natural reaction. Um, but I think it all, you know, the engagement session is a great kind of place to get build that rapport with your couple, get them comfortable with you. And then I think once they've gone through and they've seen the images, a lot of times they, you know, I'll point out the ones that were our favorites. And usually they're the ones where they're not like looking at the camera. It's usually the ones where they're connected with each other and, and doing something with each other and not the like forced looking, you know, I'm looking at the camera ones. I mean, there's always going to be a few of those, but those typically aren't, you know, those are the ones mom and dad likes, but those aren't the ones that are typically our favorites. And usually they're not the ones that are our couple's favorites either. Um, so those are, you know, I guess it, it all starts kind of building that rapport early on, you know, in the engagement session. But even earlier than that, during your initial consultation is, you know, get to know your couple, know what they're like. You mentioned kind of, you know, inappropriate or appropriate. You have to be able to read your couple a little bit as well and kind of be a little bit of a, you know, chameleon, a little bit sort of blend in with them. So if they're low, if they're a little more low key, you don't want to be like super high energy, but if they're super high energy, sometimes you have to kind of match their their energy level as well. I find that helps um, just to make them feel more comfortable and relaxed. Because if they're really low-key and low-energy and you come in there like, hey, everybody, let's go, and sometimes it can be off-putting and it makes them feel uncomfortable. Right. Um, and it can be go the other way too. If they're you know fun and gregarious and having a good time and you're really shy and quiet, sometimes that can also make them feel kind of uncomfortable and then that translates into the photos. So, you know, I like your advice of, you know, smile, right? And, and you know, the camera yeah. looks two ways. You're right. You have to adjust your personality to, because my personality actually, quite honestly, is I'm very shy. And um, especially in the beginning when I started shooting weddings and, you know, and I was having those thoughts like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this job? I remember just being petrified. You know, one of the first things I started doing, you know, to even start taking pictures at a wedding, you know, and again, remember that I was shooting Hasselblad in medium format, you know, on a bracket, and this is the photographer would hand me his camera and say, all right, now I want you to, during dance photos when they're slow dancing, he's like, I want you to go up and, you know, touch their hands, then, you know, go, hey guys, look over here and back up, you know, three feet, you know, because the lens was pre-focused, and take a picture, and I remember that just petrifying me that I had to even go t touch their hands or bother them while they were doing that, and... But, you know, I had to learn, you know, you had to learn to, you have to learn to do that and you have to get out of your comfort zone and I think, you know, and just take charge. But you can still be yourself and if you are kind of a more quiet, shy person, you know, it's okay to come out of your skin a little bit and, and but I think don't be obnoxious. That's the worst thing I see. Like I've been at other venues, you know, where there's multiple photographers and I'm watching them work and I'm just shaking my head going, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're doing that, you know, or saying that or... You know, I think just, you know, it's always best to err on the side of, you know, caution, I guess, if you will. You know, you can be funny if you're naturally funny, but, you know, watch your watch your audience and see how they're reacting to you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you'll, you'll find, too, that you'll attract and probably that's the type of client. If you're that kind of personality, like I have some friends who are photographers who are very, they're very outgoing. They can be a little inappropriate sometimes. They're very gregarious. And that tends to be the types of couples that they attract. And that's yeah, fine because they, because they're a good match, right? Yeah. Whereas we tend, we're a little quieter, maybe a little more low key. And that tends to be the type of couple that we attract. So you kind of like attracts like, right? And I think that goes. Right. Yeah. You know, I've always said, I feel, I believe that I'm photographing the couples who I should be working with. Yeah, absolutely. So. 
awesome. Some great advice, and hopefully that helps Keely out. So I want to get into our main discussion this week, and you know, again, uh, if you go back and listen to episode nine, um, that was our for sort of part one of this discussion, and it was a wedding day walkthrough. And I think we we bit off a little more than we could chew that episode. Hey, like we we thought, oh yeah, we can cover a wedding day in one episode, and yeah, that that didn't happen. So yeah. we're we decided to break this up into into two episodes, and so in in the last episode, we kind of walked through how we approach a typical wedding day, and we started kind of looking at the morning, uh, the girls and guys getting ready, how we all um, approach it, and what kind of gear we bring, and then we talked a, a bit about first looks, which is um, Robert, you do more first looks, I think, than than myself and Brian, but we talked about kind of the first looks and and how that plays into the timeline of the day. And then we got into the ceremony and talked about family photos. And I think that's kind of where we left things off in the last right. uh, the last episode. So this week, what we wanted to do was kind of pick up that conversation. And unfortunately, Brian couldn't, couldn't join us this week. So we're going to, uh, Robert and I are going to kind of bounce back and forth and share kind of how we approach the rest of the the wedding day, kind of picking up after the, the family photos. Um, so what... Did we cover ceremony? We talked a little bit about ceremony last time. Yeah, we talked about ceremony, and uh, we gave some so some good tips and some good advice. One of the tips that you gave in the last the last episode, which, which I thought it's worth bringing up again, was um, during ceremonies, I found it interesting, you'll often task your second shooter with being the one that shoots like the, the processional, and you hang out at the back of the church with the bride and catch some of those moments between her and maybe her parents. I, mean, I think part of being a really great photographer is sort of anticipating the moment and there's a lot of moments that are happening behind the scenes right before a bride walks down so just to sort of recap like I sort of I would say the last 20 or 30 minutes before she actually walks down the aisle I just sort of hang out with the girls in the room or wherever they are and then you know follow them up to get it lined up and, and all those things so whether it's bride bride and her dad whoever's walking her down the aisle there's a lot of really really great moments and I've taken some amazing images just by hanging out back there because my philosophy is like and, you know, when you take those pictures of them coming down the aisle, of course the picture of the bride from the front is important. But a lot of the other stuff, and especially in today's world, you know, don't end up in the album for those that are doing albums. And, you know, because they're trying to save money and cut down. But, you know, um, and they're just hit and miss, like whether you get a good shot or not, whether those bridesmaids are looking at you, you know. So I tell my second shooters, I'm like, you know, for sure I want a great picture of the bride and dad or whoever's walking her. I want you know, the kids and the grandparents. And if the bridal party comes fast and furious, like, do your best, but don't stress out about it. Yeah. Um, you know, so, but those moments that you get, you know, behind the scenes. So with that said, you need to really have a, a second shooter that you're confident in, uh, that you know you can put in front of the church or the aisle and, and get those great images. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. So we talked about um, family, kind of the last episode we ended off just um talking about family photos. So I think we were all pretty much the same in that like you'll do family photos and Brian, I think was the same quite often at the venue where the ceremony is for the most part. Uh, we try to do that as well, or at least pick a location that's fairly close by. So there isn't, you know, people don't have to travel a lot. Um, cause it, inevitably somebody will get lost, <laughs> you know, on the way and that just leads to more delays. Um, so, for you, I know you do a lot of first looks, so you tend to do a lot of the portrait session with the bride and the groom and the wedding party before the ceremony. What's it look like um, for you when you're not doing that? Or even, let's talk, I want to dig into that a little bit more because I think there's some things we could talk about in terms of, you know, 
working with the bridal party, working with the bride and groom, you know, what about if you're going to multiple locations? Kind of what's that look like? Either either if you do the before the ceremony or after the ceremony, I think kind of that formal portrait session. How do you approach it? What gear do you bring with you and how do you approach it in terms of like locations and those so aspects? I try to do obviously what makes most sense. Uh, you know, especially on a wedding day, you know, work smarter, not harder. Um, so even if my couple, let's say, is willing to see each other before and I can do all the pictures ahead of time, but, you know, for whatever reason, you know, this is a kind of a common one. Even though my couples will see each other, sometimes they don't want to ask the extended family to be there before because if everything's in one location, I'll get it all done before. I mean, I'm talking, you know, first look, bride and groom portraits, immediate family, bridal party, and then extended family. Um, and then ideally we're done because, again, the purpose of, of that, as I tell my couples, is when you kiss and say I do and walk down the aisle, you're done. And in your mind you're done. And, and you know, in your mind, like, they all want to go party and be with their friends. So if they can, just walk down the aisle and go do whatever they want and join their cocktail hour, um, then I think that's a win-win for everyone. It allows... Um, me as a photographer to get in the room and shoot details and those things with a little less, little less rushed. Um, so um, I do that, uh, and then, but if they don't see each other before, like again, I do kind of what makes the most sense, and um, I will. Let's say I have to do the family portraits after the ceremony. You know, I'll try to keep it. Uh, I'll try to keep it to just the extended family. Let, let me back up a little bit. If my couples don't want to see each other, I will accomplish before the ceremony, bride by herself, her immediate family, her bridal party, groom by himself, his immediate family, bridal party. So after the ceremony, then I'm left with those extended family photos as well as the couple together. Um, so the extended family photos after, um, if you're at a church or, or someplace, you know, of course, educated them and say, you know, make sure that, you know, even I talk to the bridal party and things like that before and say, all right, we're going to do pictures right afterwards. Don't take off. Don't go get a drink. Just get it done. And then um, I like to work big to small, uh, meaning I, I'll start with my largest group. So I'll say all the bride's family come on up. And so it's the bride and groom, parents, aunts, uncles, cousins, you know. Yeah, we do. Like peel like an onion, right? Start. Everyone, right. And yeah. do that big picture um, and then break that down to the immediate family. Break that down to the parents. Move the parents to one side of the bride, let's say, her parents. Ask the other groom's parents to come up, take that photo. And then uh, excuse and then excuse her parents um, you know, then separate the groom's parents, put them on one side of either the bride and groom, and then I'll have his whole extended family come up. I'll take that picture, immediate family, mom and dad, you know, maybe any grandparents if there's special pictures that they want. Now, the one thing that I do here, too, again, talking about a second shooter that's helpful if you have a second shooter that um, you trust and is capable, um, in these big formal situations, I rarely take the pictures myself. I have my second shooter do it, and I direct the whole thing. So I'm the one placing the people in and out, inviting the people in and up, uh, up and down, you know, helping grandma to the altar, all those things, um, being pleasant and polite, you know, and doing it in a very uh, forceful is not the right way, but I take command. Mm -hmm. um, 
but I am gentle with everyone, so you know, you're not yelling and screaming at them. But the nice thing about doing it this way is that it really flows very quickly because it, as you know, you can all relate if you're the photographer standing behind the camera and trying to pose everyone and dealing with these big groups of people. Um, so, and I take little precautions, like let's say we're in a church, I'll ask everyone, you know, please sit in the pews, I will call you up as I need you. Um, I ask them to not stand behind me in the aisle while I'm doing it because nothing drives me crazy if someone's like, you know, I have a bunch of people, whether they're taking pictures or not, sometimes they're just standing there talking and I'm trying to back up and I'm bumping into people and like, I'm a pretty chill person, but that gets the hair raised on my neck a little bit when people do that, so I have to, you know... If it happens, I'm like, could you guys just please sit? You know, I just yeah. always smile the whole time. And if you set up something like a light or a, or a camera on a tripod, it's like a black hole and it sucks people. Right, right. They just want to stand right yeah. there. Um, so my tips with that part of it, you know, especially the bigger groups, is um, you know, work large to small. It, it makes more sense than taking people up and down. Um, I try to keep those photos also to, for each side of the family, really, you know, unless they want a bunch of breakdowns, to three shots. And that's the extended family, so that's everyone. The immediate family, so the bride and groom, the parents, brothers and sisters, spouses and kids. And then the bride's parents. So for her side, there's just three pictures. And it includes everyone. Um, and you're done. Of course, if you have divorces, then you have to kind of, you know, break that out a little bit more. And if they have requests, like they want special aunts, um, uncles, whatever, special photos of them. And this is also the time that I suggest to my couples that they invite any special friends that they want in the photos in this session, meaning if they have godparents, sorority sisters, things like that. And I suggest that they invite them to this hour so that we get it done and it, you don't have to chase because, you know, oftentimes they'll say, oh, well, we'll get that at the reception. We'll just get my sorority sisters later at the reception. And as you guys know, it's a pain in the ass to chase people around the reception. And yeah, it's like hurting cats. Together, and they're all having a good time. So I suggest that we do it then. And then the other thing that I, the way I sell this when I suggest that, as I said, also what it does for me is now I have a visual record of who's important to you, you know, beyond your family, sorority sisters, godparents. So I will make sure that... I, you know, concentrate on those people during the reception, you know, maybe more than I would have because I didn't know that that, that was your godparents right there. Um, or maybe I see you dancing with your sorority sisters on the dance floor and I get an amazing candid and you might love that candid more than the formal one that I took, but at least I knew to take it because I knew those were all your sorority sisters. Mm, yeah, that's a good. That's actually a really good tip because I've I've had it too where you know they'll they'll say oh yeah we'll get that later at the reception and then it's you know you're say okay well you know it's ten o'clock we're packing up we're getting early oh yeah we want to get that shot or this shot and then you know then they're spending fifteen minutes again trying to herd cats and round everybody up and the next thing you know it's it's ten thirty and they're still trying to get everybody together for this photo and you know half of them are plastered and ties around their heads and you know it's right. just not. <laughs> You know, it's a fun, it's a fun candid photo. You know? I mean, the idea, and I try to sell this each time, you know, again, with couples seeing each other, but like I alluded to or mentioned earlier, is like, when you go to your reception, I want you to go to your reception, and you don't have to do anything else. You know, we will be there to capture everything that happens, but we don't have any more group photos to do. I don't have to arrange groups. I don't have to pull you away from your party and having fun. That's the idea, is you walk into your party, and you enjoy the rest of the night, and we capture what happens. Nice, nice. So how about um, the, the actual portrait session itself? I know you talked a little bit about how you approach it um, 
when you're doing the first look before the wedding. What's it look like if you're doing it, or even, doesn't even have to be after, after or before, but just the portrait session in general, working with the bridal party and with the bride and groom. How do you kind of approach that? Do you like to shoot? Because I know for us, we like to do the bridal party and everything first, and then kind of release the bridal party. So they can either go back to the limo or go to a bar somewhere, <laughs> something. Because um, I find a lot of times when the bridal party is all around, it um, the couple sometimes aren't themselves, particularly if they're all hanging around while we're doing photos. So I usually like to do the bridal party photos first and then send them on their way and then just have the bride and groom to ourselves. Is that... Correct. I mean, when you're doing family groups, you know, going back to what we just talked about, I tend to do the family first just because, you know, your parents are paying for it. They want to, they also want to get to cocktails and they have guests to greet. So I see it as the bridal party is a little bit more tolerable and they're, they're their friends and they're going to hang out. But, um, so I will generally do the family first. But again, if someone's missing the family's night there and I have all my bridal party, boom, let's, you know, let's get stuff done. Like I just want to get pictures taken so that it's one less photo that I have to do. Um, but you're right. Like once, once I'm done with groups, I excuse everyone. I just want my couple. Um, and I just want their attention. I don't want a bunch of people standing around because you're right. They, they're distracted. They're not, you know, sort of enjoying each other. And I think they like that reprieve. You know, there's like, taking family photos can be stressful and you see it on the faces of couples. And once you're kind of done with that whole process and, you know, and, and people leave and, you know, the decibels drop and it's quiet uh, and you go for a walk maybe around the property or wherever you are, you know, they, I think couples really, really enjoy that just kind of quiet time. Um, if, you know, they haven't seen each other before, of course, you're a little bit under the gun because generally you have about an hour during cocktail. So if family photos take a half an hour, which is great if you can get it done in that time. And then, you know, I have a half an hour for the couple. Um, so I'm trying to get, of course, as much accomplished in that half an hour as I can. Uh, if the ceremony runs 15 minutes late, you know, a lot of times they'll cut cocktails and now I have 45 minutes to do all that, whereas before I had an hour, which is, you know, again, one of my uh, tools, I guess, that I use uh, to help talk my couples into seeing each other before and having, you know, a complete hour ahead of time to do photos, you know, by themselves without anybody else around so it's quiet and enjoyable. But again, however they want to do it, I respect that. Um, so I enjoy my couples, yeah, just alone and by myself. Do you find an hour is, like, is that kind of your ideal kind of time frame to have alone with the couple? Do you like to have more time than that, less time, or is an hour kind of your sweet spot? I think spot? an hour is good if I have, again, going back to if I if they do a first look and they see each other, I run on a three-hour time schedule prior to ceremony. So you have a 6 o'clock ceremony. Uh, first look would be at 3. I'd photograph my couple from 3 to 4 by themselves. 4 to 5, I allow for immediate family bridal party, and from 5 to 6, any extended family, you know, those extended family portraits. Now, a lot of times I finish before, and that sort of is my goal. I don't really want to run right up to 6 o'clock if the ceremony is at 6. Um, and then if I if they do that, you know, and I do get my couple for an hour before, and I will suggest to them too, like I like to call it bride and groom bonus time. So the couple kisses says I do walks down the aisle. If you're in a location like outdoors or a beach or someplace where they can actually take a walk, 
You know, you're not necessarily just at a church where they can walk down the aisle and kind of take a walk. I suggest that they go do that and just keep going, and then I'll follow them with a long lens and just sort of photograph them, you know, enjoying each other but not get in their space. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I'll say, look, we can take 10 minutes, do a couple quick pictures. Maybe there's a sunset, you know, maybe. And then I'm like, go to cocktails. Go enjoy your guests. Be a part of your cocktail hour. Like, I want them to be at cocktails. Yeah. I know here, the wedding schedules here tend to follow a bit of a different pattern in that oftentimes the ceremonies are early, um, like one o'clock in the afternoon, and then they're not at the reception until say 5.30 or 6 o'clock. So you've got this big gap of about three right. or four hours um, sometimes, which is, it's actually, a, it can be a blessing and a curse. So I mean, it's it's nice to have that amount of time, but I find sometimes it's it can be too much time. Like there's yeah. this big gap of like, what do you do in this time? So sometimes we'll actually encourage our couples to like, to plan an activity maybe with their wedding party. Like let's go for lunch or, you know, go to your favorite watering hole and, you know, I'll get some, we'll get some candidates of them while they're there. So hopefully they right. picked it, you know, a fairly nice place and we'll get some candidates of them just hanging out with their, you know, with their bridal party. The bridal party really appreciates it because the last thing they want to do is sit around for three hours and do photos. Um, the groom usually really appreciates it because the last thing he typically wants to do is sit around for three hours and do photos. Um, so we usually encourage them to plan some kind of an activity um, and then we'll just follow them to that and break it up a little bit. So it's sort of like we'll do some photos, take a little bit of a break, and then maybe after the break, the wedding party can hang out or stay at that location and we'll we'll just take the bride and groom and do some more um, photos with them. I find about an hour and a half with the bride and groom is usually really good. In, I know early on in our in our wedding uh, business, I spent I, I concerned myself and spent too much time with the wedding party, right. and and I think I learned very quickly that you know as long as you get a, f a couple of good shots of the whole bridal party, that's typically all the bride and groom really wants, and they end up putting one maybe two right. of those shots in their album anyway. Right. So I started to kind of cut back on the amount of time that we spent focused on the wedding party with the couple and focus, you know, divert that time more to the, to the bride and groom. But I was always worried about missing something. Right. Right. Well, if you're going to do, you know, like going to that, like, so you do kind of a formal pretty one and then you have a fun one. And if you, if you have those, you know, then I think you're good. And, and my philosophy with family portraits and those bigger group shots as well has always been, look, they don't need to be creative. They need to be, lit well and in focus and if you have those two elements you know and of course people looking pleasant in the in the in the pictures you know that's all the couple wants um sometimes you know and people are going to disagree with this but sometimes you know you can get creative with your bridal party shots and that is, you know and i've done it too but i mean for the more majority and then not i think it's more like it usually applies to that like i just make sure that i get a nice shot of the bridal party maybe we have a fun one you know, but they're in focus and they're lit well. And, you know, um, the one thing that just is like a quick tip, you know, I know this seems like common sense, but I've seen it a lot, um, you know, especially maybe to newer photographers and people like to shoot prime lenses and wide open. But, you know, you really need to make sure that, you're, that your aperture is like 5.6 or f8 when you're doing big group shots, you know, because people in the back are going to be out of focus if you're focusing on the front. Um, so... It's funny, it seems like common sense, but I've seen many examples of it. And uh, so it's just kind of one of those, just make sure that, you know, everyone's in focus from front to back.
Yeah, I know during family photos for sure we bust out our lighting, so we bring our off-camera flash. Usually, set up a couple of lights with umbrellas. Um, you know, and we light that again. A lot of times we're shooting those in the church uh, where the lighting right. kind of stinks. Right. So we need, you know, we need to light it. So I'll, I'll usually pull out the lights during the, the family um, session for sure. So um, this is kind of a little bit of a sidetrack, but um, something that I noticed was a, a bit of a growing trend, maybe not so much here, but day after sessions yeah. with just the bride and groom. Is that something that you see a lot of or do you do a fair amount of that? I noticed at WPPI, particularly I sat in on print judging and I actually sat in on a category that was specifically dedicated to day after sessions, a lot of it coming from Asia. And they were, because in Asia, it seems like the wedding is kind of the parents' deal. So the parents are involved in the planning of it, but it's not really the couple's uh, I guess, vision of how they want their wedding. So they're uh, quite commonly now doing these day after sessions where they'll go sometimes to a really beautiful exotic location at like the best time of day for light and then do a, a whole s separate session, just the bride and groom. Is that something you're seeing, a trend you're seeing? Uh, I've done it a few times. Like if I do it, it tends to be more at a destination wedding. Uh, you know, where I'm there for the whole weekend and then the couple will say, oh, we'll put the dress back on. And But I've had those scheduled a couple times on destination weddings and then had them canceled because the couple's just the next day, they're just tired and they're like, what, we have to get back in our dress and back in it, you know, and yeah. they, they have all these great intentions and things that sounds like fun and then they don't want to do it um, because it's just so much work to have hair and makeup done again, get back in the dress. Um, so I haven't done a ton of them myself. Yeah, we haven't either. It's not a big thing, but I just I I noticed it at WPPI, and it might have been just because that's the print judging that I sat in on. But I talked to some of those photographers, and they said they're you know they're getting these clients that are paying fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars in some cases to do these like portrait sessions, but they'll go like to some just amazing, beautiful locations with like the best light, the best time of day, and I was like, oh, right, right. Yeah, I mean, that that's sort of like just like doing a fashion shoot, you know, and it's a little bit more of a controlled environment and the results should be better because you're not under like a times constraint. And you said if you're choosing the, you know, amazing locations and, and beautiful light, you know, that's the thing sometimes with doing weddings, I guess, how they are here, um, you know, we're a victim to, I guess, so to speak, like what we're given and we have to make any given situation look great. Yeah, and that's where sometimes like sites like Pinterest and that can be dangerous where you have brides coming in and say, oh, you know, I want my day to look like this, and they're not realizing that, you know, 90% of those are these types of styled shoots that were on a, you know, they weren't constrained by a wedding day timeline, and they were, you know, so sometimes that's a right. blessing and a curse, these things with social media sometimes, right? You don't see that, so. Okay, so that's kind of the the bride and groom, um, you know, and the, and the bridal party portraits. So cocktail hour and the reception. How do you approach that? And what? Let's start with just gear wise. Do you bring or do anything different for the reception part or for cocktail hour than you would for say the rest of the day? Not really. Um, I might, you know, because I shoot Sony cameras, I have several different ones. Um, one of the things that I do at the cocktail hour, especially when I'm outside. Uh, and I love to do is I do cocktail candid what I call like headshots. I'll walk around the cocktail hour with a 70 to 200 and um, just single people out and take like candid headshots of them, smiling, laughing. You know, I want to catch them pleasant, you know, catch them in, a, in sort of a, 
an organic state, if you will. Um, and I get quite a few compliments from my brides, or comments anyway, saying, oh my gosh, I love these pictures that you took of, you know, they don't necessarily know it's cocktail hour, but, you know, they recognize that because I'm just capturing their friends, you know, and singling them out and catching a, a good shot of them. The trick to doing this um, is, well, A, just to do it, but B, to keep moving. Don't get caught up in trying to catch one person too long. I've, you know, I just keep myself moving. So sometimes you'll see someone smiling, you'll be shooting through the crowd, and then, you know, now they're not smiling, and you're like, oh, I want that picture, and you're like standing there, and then they notice you. Um, so the trick is not to get them to notice you. It's just so just keep going. You can come back to them. Um, and that works really well. I mean, I have a lot of brides that really, really like that. And I know one of the things that, you know, in our previous show where we talked about uh, the 50 things brides wish that their photographers would have done better, that was one of the common threads was that uh, there weren't enough candidates of their guests. So I take this opportunity to try to get that. And then especially it works best when you have an outdoor location. Sometimes it's a little harder inside a, a room when you have to use flash and a 70 to 200 because you can get red eye uh, with that long lens doing it that way. Um, and then, of course, I'll have my second photographers do, uh, you know, group shots, you know, pose three or four people. Hey, you guys get together. Let me get a quick picture. Um, you know, we just kind of keep that light and fun throughout cocktail hour. And then, of course, um, you know, we'll also utilize cocktail hour as the time to, uh, you know, shoot detail. Uh, so maybe I'll do a little bit of that, and then I'll go in the room and I'll shoot detail. Um, but that's, you know, as far as cocktail hour goes, I don't have any other tips and tricks. But that one, brides and grooms seem to really like. Yeah. Uh, bride and groom usually present at the cocktail hour. Do you find it a lot of your weddings, or? Uh, yes. Yeah, ours, it's different here. It seems like a lot of our cocktail hours, usually they're not um, there. It's usually the cocktail, it's usually like cocktail 15 minutes. <laughs> it's usually not a cocktail hour. Um, it's right. more just grab a beverage before you go into the, you know, into the reception or before you take your seat at your table. And usually that's when the bride and groom is kind of gone either back to their room to like freshen up um, or take just to like 10, 15 minutes to just relax and be away from people for a little bit because usually it's been you know a lot of people on them all day and you know they're tired at that point maybe they haven't even eaten yet so sometimes they'll take off to go get like a quick snack because sometimes dinner might there might be some speeches and things they might not actually start eating until you know seven o'clock or something so i find here cocktail hour tends to be more like cocktail 15 minutes so we don't capture a lot of that traditionally we we usually have to use those 15 minutes to, to get the details so that's usually when we go into the room photograph things like the cake, you know, the room itself before everybody kind of, you know, descends upon it and starts to tear apart all the nice table settings and all the details that the bride has, you know, spent thousands of hours and dollars on putting together. Um, so we try to do all that before everybody kind of comes into the room. Uh, it doesn't always work. Sometimes just the time of the day we get there and people are already in the room because they don't really have a separate cocktail space. So it's just everybody goes in the room. So it varies from wedding to wedding, but that's typically what we try to do. But yeah, the cocktail hour isn't something too much that we get into into covering. But I like that idea of getting kind of those headshots of people and more of those candid stuff. I'd love to do more of that, but just find here we don't do as many of those type of cocktail well, hours. Well, you could do it, you know, where you could also do it as pre-ceremony. So when the guests are seated, you know, you're waiting for the ceremony to start. Uh, I've done a little bit of it then, but I'm usually with the bride, like I mentioned, but you could do it then. 
you know, mm-hmm. like again, just single out people, uh, you know, sitting in the audience or as people come in, you know, people are usually smiling. They see people that they that they you know haven't seen. So that's another time that you could uh, do that. Yeah, that's a good tip. I usually in that I usually make sure I focus on the people that are in the first two or three rows because usually for sure those are you know your, your close family member, you know, the bride and groom's close family members. Right. And, uh, you know, grandparents are usually always in the first row. And so I always make a point of trying to get some nice candidates of the grandparents in the, you know, front row or just look for sweet moments between couples. Like I've seen really cute moments of the grandparents in the front row and, you know, the grandpa takes the grandma's hand and just little moments like that. And the bride and groom, they love to see those candid photos of their loved ones because oftentimes they just don't, they never see them in that. And you brought up a good point about what the grandparents, like that's something that I do too, like regardless of throughout the day, like I really, beyond the nice portrait of grandma and grandpa, I do concentrate on grandparents as well because the reality of it is, is that, you know, they're not going to be around probably for too much longer. Um, And I've heard so many stories where the grandparents have died, you know, within sometimes weeks and six months after weddings. and, And so I really like to capture just like you do. Like I just look for that, you know, those great they're such characters too their faces and you know capturing that moment of of you know the grandparents because the bride's just like you say like oh my gosh you just captured my grandma like is this how i remember her i had a bride one time um and there's many stories like this but she came into into my studio to pick up her wedding album and uh, I had a I had a screen on the studio that rotated photos, and there was this great image that's still one of my favorite grandparent images that came up of of she did like a first look with her grandma mm. uh, on the wedding day, and it's this great image of the bride and the grandma kind of like nose to nose because she went into the hotel room and like put her face up to her and they were like smiling and and so I come out I. I I came out to bring her her book, and she's sitting in my studio crying, and I was like, uh-oh. What did I do? <laughs> I was like, what did I do? And then she's like, I just saw that picture of my grandma, and she just died like two weeks ago, and I love that photo. And, you know, so I think putting yourself in, in you know, your client's shoes sometimes and, you know, think about this. We don't like to think about that reality, but, you know, especially with grandparents. I, I do it because I know how much I loved mine. And, you know, when they're gone, they're gone, and you don't have them around anymore. I mean, I have a picture of my grandfather that hangs right up there over my desk and, you know, because he was so important to me. So, Yeah, and those are those moments when you hear those stories. They're, I mean, they're heartbreaking because you hate to hear – you know, somebody's passed away, but those are also the moments as a photographer, I know they're, they're actually kind of rewarding because, you know, I've had brides and grooms and couples that come and say, you know, you photographed, you know, took the last photograph ever of my grandfather or of my grandmother or somebody special or important to them, right? you know, or the last time that they were together. Um, so that's, that's kind of those rewarding moments as a photographer that you go, yeah, this is, this is why I love what I do. Right. So, right. So yeah, cocktail hour, like I say, not as big here as, as it seems to be uh, with a lot of your weddings. But then what about the, the reception it's, itself? How's kind of your your night look? Is it more like, do you stop and take a break for dinner? Do you eat? That's a question that's a big difference, I think, between here in Canada versus in, this, in the States um, is kind of how that happens. I know I talk a lot about like vendor, the vendor meal, where they kind of usher you off to some separate room and you get a bag of a leftover sandwich that seems to be common in the u.s in canada we tend to go you know we're invited to the dinner and included in the dinner a lot talk about that a little bit yeah i mean 
depends on the venue, of course. But yeah, it seems really like I've written articles and blog posts about this, and um, and I know pretty much our audience are photographers, so I'm preaching to the choir. But um, the one thing, like I think, the most important thing is that, like you know, we eat when the guests eat because when the guests are done, well, first of all, when they're eating, they don't want to be photographed. And then when they're done, things are going to start to happen. But I think this generally comes from the venues because the venues have this policy like, well, we're not going to feed your vendors until the last guest is served. But, you know, but so you're going to serve the last guest and this is, you know, and I'm sure every photographer listening to this goes, yep. And then they feed you and they're like, all right, well, you have five minutes to eat. Yeah. And, you know, we've been there Typically, I know I've been sometimes before I get fed, you know, seven, eight hours, you know, before you actually sit down. And if you think about any job, like, we should get at least a 30-minute break to sit down and eat. And, you know, that doesn't always happen. Um, but I think it comes from the venue. You know, I, I even talk to my couples about it. I know some people have a clause in their contract about meals that, you know, say that they should um, – eat what the guests eat, you know, that they're not given a, a crusty sandwich and this and that. Um, I kind of understand the couple's point of view, but, you know, if the couple says, all right, well, you know, the vendor meals are, you know, maybe $50, and but then if they give you a full meal like the rest of the guests, then you get counted in their head count at $150 a plate or whatever your wedding is. And, you know, it costs the couple more so I think that's where the idea of the vendor meal. Now, my opinion, if somebody wanted to be the hero, it would be the venue. And the venue would make sure that the photographers got fed everything that the guests did and so that you would have nothing but great things to say about that venue. Mm. Every time I work at this place, I get fed, you know. And, and the venue can, you know, boast and make it known, like, yeah, no problem, we'll feed your vendors for you. Because what does it really cost them? Even if there's a band it, with 10 people in a band and two photographers, two videographers, so let's say 14, 15 people, whatever, I mean, that doesn't cost them $50 a plate even. It costs them like $2 a plate. Yeah, and inevitably people don't show up to the wedding, right? So there's always a few extra plates. That right, right. So I think a venue, venues would be smart to you know, sort of be the hero there. Mm -hmm. you know, not charge the couples for vendor meals and, um, you know, or, or a minimal charge. Like, look, we'll, we'll charge you 10 bucks, you know, their cost. We're going to charge you 10 bucks for a vendor meal for each of your vendors, but we'll feed them what your guests are eating. Um, and then the vendor kind of make it known, like, yeah, we're taking our vendors here at, you know, such and such country club or wherever you're working. Yeah, yeah. We've we've never really run into it too much of an issue. Like we haven't had it to the point where we felt we had to put a clause in our contract or anything. It's usually something we talk about during the pre-wedding consult. So we meet with our couples, maybe a couple of weeks prior to the wedding, and that's something that we mention. We bring up to them and say, hey, you know, we'd appreciate it if you include us in dinner. Um, if if for whatever reason you can't include us in the dinner, we totally get that. Um, just you know, we'll need to take a break at some point and eat. Otherwise, if you don't want us passing out and falling down <laughs> at your reception, um, you know, you want to keep us fresh and, and fed. Right. Um, so we just let them know, you know, kind of two choices. If they're going to feed us, great. We just appreciate if they could have us, you know, in the queue early so that, again, we can eat and then get back to shooting. Because, again, like you say, if you, if you get fed at the end, which happens a lot, um, then your, your dinner comes. I've had this happen before. We're at the wedding and we're the last ones to get fed. 
and our plate arrives, gets on the table, and all of a sudden, like, speeches start. And you're like, right. you're looking at your plate, like, oh, I guess I'm not eating this. And then you run off, you shoot some of the speeches, and you come back, and they've cleared, you know, they've cleared the table. And, you know, dinner's gone. So right. it's generally not been an issue. We did have one wedding this last year, which is very unusual because whenever we shoot at this at this venue, it's a really, really nice hotel in the city. And it's never been an issue before, but kind of dinner, like our names weren't on the chart. Dinner kind of started and we're look, looking around the room and, <coughs> you know, so I went over and I, I didn't ask the couple. I actually just went and asked the catering manager. I said, did they have us on the list by chance for, for dinner? Um, and the, 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 uh, catering manager was like nope they didn't include you so I was like okay so I had to go tell the you know bride and groom I said you know I kind of did it nicely but sort of said it looks like we weren't included in dinner so we're gonna have to go out and get something but the way we pose it to our clients when we're talking about it um, beforehand is that you know if we if we're away from the room because we have to go eat something right and if something happens then we're not there to catch it if we're in the room and we're eating and something happens we're gonna get up and capture it like my camera's with me you're gonna get that moment but you know, so and usually once they see that, they say, yeah, that's no problem. We'll include you in dinner and right, right, right. So usually not. I had a I had a similar. This was years ago, but it was the same thing. Like we had worked a long day, and you know we weren't and and I think I even like had to talk to the bride or something, and uh, you know I was like, you know, is there a vendor meal for us? Or and she's like, I can't. She's like, I'm not feeding you guys. She's like, it's 150 dollars a person or whatever. And I was like, but there's vendor meals. And she's like, but, you know, she's, and she, whatever. She was just kind of a bridezilla. And uh, I said, well, that's fine. You know, I, I understand. I said, but, you know, we've been working 10 hours and uh, we're going to need to take a break. So we're going to leave here and go run out and get some food. And, uh, you know, we'll be back. So don't do anything while we're gone. And uh, miraculously, we got food pretty quick. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing what, how that happens. Yeah, we try to get, we try to talk about that. This this particular example, we didn't. I don't know. It just didn't come up during the pre-wedding discussion because usually right. it's never an issue. But now that it's happened, you know, we're going to be a little more conscious of making sure that conversation happens before the right. wedding, just so I, that we know. Go ahead. So, and we bring stuff. I mean, we'll bring snacks with us and stuff, right. like that, you know, during the day. But it's still after you've been working eight or ten hours, you know. I love that the bread when the bread comes to the table. It's photographers are always like diving into the bread, and I'm sure the other people that we sit with at the table think we're crazy. But it's like it's the only thing we've eaten for the last eight hours. Out of right. my way. Well, I think like the simple solution, like for those of you listening, if you you've probably all been in the situation, um, but if you want to avoid this, you could put something in your contract, whether how aggressive you want to be or not. That says, you know, it is customary to feed the, you know, the photographers, um, you know, and suggest like we did, you know, like in, it's best for us to eat when the guests eat so that, you know, first off, nobody are taking pictures while they're eating and, uh, you know, we'll be eating while the guests are eating. So we're all ready to go once the toasts and those things start, um, you know, and you could just have it as a suggestion, say it's customary too. And if you want to be a little more aggressive, then you say, you know, we require a meal for each person, you know, whatever. Um, but that's the best way, you know, and like Bruce said, just have the conversation, bring it up, make sure that, you know, you know, it's all about the communication. Yep. You don't want your photographers to get hangry. That's right. <laughs> 
So then what's the rest of the night look like for you in terms of uh, lighting and, and any of that? Do you do a lot of off-camera flash work at your receptions or do you tend to kind of go with the ambient light or does it Yeah, I've vary? gone back and forth with that over the years. You know, I've used external lights and lit the dance floor and uh, these days I'm trying to keep it simple. Uh, generally with the nicer weddings that I do, there's a lot of pretty room light. Um, so I'll just do a little bit of shutter drag and, you know, bring up those lights in the room. Um, I've been actually recently, you know, since Sony brought out the A7S, uh, which is their high ISO camera and, uh, also has silent shutter on it, which is really great, uh, especially for ceremony and, uh, toasts and things like that where you don't want to be disturbing them. I mean, you literally cannot hear the shutter go. Um, but the high ISO where I'll tend to shoot available light for a majority of the reception and I'll have my second photographer shoot flash so we kind of have a little bit of both and um, it's kind of a nice mix so you know for instance during cake you know they're shooting the camera with flash and I'm just shooting available light uh, so I generally have very nice lighting at my wedding so it really is conducive to doing that uh, you just have to kind of see um, and then if I a lot of times if I uh, if I am shooting flash, um, I, I'll bounce the light a lot, you know, sometimes, you know, just to give a little bit of dimension to the lighting instead of, like, direct on camera. But on the dance floor, I'll shoot it direct. You know, again, I just kind of, on the dance floor, you know, again, I want it focused and lit well. You know, I want to see their faces. And I'll play around with my shutter speeds and shutter drag to pull up ambient light in the background or... Sometimes if they have, like, the wedding I just did this last Saturday, they had, like, these colorful rings on that blink different colors, so I slowed down my shutter speed and lowered my flash a little bit so that I could pick up some of the movement of their hands when they were dancing. You know, the flash will freeze them, but a little bit longer of an exposure, like a 15th of a second or a 10th of a second, I was getting some movement with their rings. So I like to show a little movement in dancing for some of it, but not all of it, because sometimes the clients don't get that. Yeah. Um, so you got to show a little creativity, but you can't do it all night because they'll be, why are all these pictures out of focus? So yeah. if you mix it up a little bit, you know, and give them a variety, you know, when it's appropriate. Yeah, for a while there we had a, well, I still have it. I don't use it very much. We have a fisheye lens. Sometimes I'll pull that out, you know, and do a few, you know, the dance floor kind of stuff with a fisheye lens. But again, I'm not going to shoot the whole thing with a fisheye lens because... Yeah. <laughs> nobody wants that but yeah it's, I find the the reception particularly the dance parts kind of that time when you can play a little bit experiment a little bit do some things like a slow shutter shutter drag or even like twist your camera to kind of get the lights you know kind of blurring but you know fl hit them with some flash to freeze the subject those are some some times you know when you can experiment a little bit which is kind of fun yeah we, we tend to, I guess, bring more lighting. That's something that we're kind of known for is, is bringing our off-camera flash and actually when I second shoot there's a few um other photographers that I second shoot with and they actually bring me along specifically for that skill is being able to light things with off-camera flash because a lot right. of them are more natural light photographers they're not as comfortable with the off-camera flash but we get into some venues here that are um, less than pretty um, <laughs> nice way to put it right. um, they're fugly um, and <laughs> you, you need some and and it depends again that's a, a good thing to ask your couple ahead of time you know what <laughs> What are they doing for the light? Are they bringing in, are they going to have up lighting and nice lighting, or is it just whatever's there in the venue? And you get to know these venues after a little while. There's a couple of venues here in town that you know are like 
dark. And if they don't light it, then it's going to look pretty horrible. So we'll bring our off-camera lights. So we use these. uh, I was using the Canon speed lights for um, the first couple of years. And what I found with the Canon speed lights is that they're, they're great, but their recycle time just wasn't fast enough for certain things that were happening, like bouquet ta, like certain things right. that were really fast moving. So I've actually moved now. We, we're using these uh, bare bulb flashes um, from uh, Godox. They're very similar to the Quantums, if, if you're familiar with the Quantum uh-huh. bare bulb flashes. Uh, but these ones are about half the price. And uh, really, really nice quality of light, but they're super powerful. They're about eight times more power output than my Canon speed lights. So what I find is like we can set these things up, run them at you know a 30-second power. They're just manual. Um, manual flash, so I can run them at 32nd or 16th power, and they recycle really, really fast. So they're really good for like fast-moving action. I was. Uh, did you get a chance to look at uh, WPPI? They had those new Profoto B2 lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually really like those lights. I was inquiring about them, um, so I'm like looking into that. But then somebody was saying that they're, I think they're only for Canon and Nikon. I don't know if they work with the Sony cameras. Well, as far as, like the TTL stuff, maybe, but you probably could still run them in a manual, in a manual mode. I bet. Right. With with the Sony's, but uh, yeah, they look really nice. Uh, they're they're not cheap. <laughs> they're well, they're like almost pro photo lights. They're very expensive. Right. They, yeah, I looked into that. You know, like there's a there's a single kit, and then there's a two light kit. I think one's twenty one hundred, and the other one's like twenty eight if you get the second light. Yeah, in Canada here they were three grand for the single light, so it's one light. Yeah. <laughs> so it starts to add up after a while. But so I found these Godox lights, or Cheetah is another brand, or newer. They're all the same, the same light, but they're a bare bulb flash, and they work really, really well. So we've got three of those, and we'll set those up around the room, and then I'll still have an on-camera flash that I might pull out and. and do you know on the dance floor if our off-camera light isn't kind of if we can't get it where we want it because sometimes we're restricted a little bit in where we can put it and then you're dealing with stands and then you've got things that guests can trip over and, and stuff so sometimes right. you have to take those things into consideration you know when you're setting up your off-camera flash um, one thing I bought when I was at WPPI I was a good boy I didn't shop too much at the <laughs> at the expo but I did buy um, Jerry Gionis's uh, version two of the ice light. Uh-huh. Or for shooting the details, have you had a chance to see that before? Or it kind of looks like a lightsaber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've seen one. As a matter of fact, the photographer I worked with this last weekend had one. Um, and I use I've never used it. I, I liked it, but um, I have a GL1 gun light. Oh um, right, the lol. Sort of like a trigger right. A yeah. trigger light. I really like that because it's like a spot. I can use it. I can use it for detail if I want, which a lot of times we'll do. We'll paint. We'll paint with it. Do some long exposure and paint some of the centerpieces. Or um, I'll use it for first dance. You know, kind of spotlight my couple, depending on what the lighting's like in the room, or backlight them. So it, it's not an, a cheap light, but I really like it. Yeah, I saw them. I checked those out as well. They're about seven or eight hundred bucks, and it looks like a drill, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, and they were pretty cool. Like they could throw the light pretty far, and again, yeah. you know, just uh, look up the lol. Um, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. But um, yeah, so I picked up the the new version of Gar- of um, Jerry Gionis's ice light, and it's basically an LED light. It looks like a lightsaber, and again, great for you know details, centerpieces, that kind of that kind of stuff. So it's like a constant. What did uh, they nice upgrade? What was new? What's new about it? So it's fifty percent brighter than the first version. So a little more powerful. They reconfigured the buttons on it because I guess the 
previous buttons were kind of confusing and not the most um, intuitive. And then you can now um, replace the battery on it. So the other one, I think the battery couldn't come out. So you had to like keep the unit plugged in if you had to recharge it. Now you can actually purchase a spare battery. Oh, got it. So you could you could run it, and then if your battery ran out, you just swap the battery out, plug it, and take the battery and plug it in. So they said they did those. So I picked one of those up. I haven't got it yet. It's supposed to ship soon, and actually, it works really good as a video light as well for podcasting because you can mount it and and actually have it. So I might the next hopefully I get it in time for next show, and I can mount it above me, and right. maybe I'll have. I don't know if it'll make me look prettier or I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> no, we'll <laughs> Yeah, there's no amount of Photoshop in the world that can make me look prettier. So, uh, but that tends to be our approach on the receptions for sure. Is we like to light them, so we bring in our lighting gear uh, with us and uh, find that 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 system works really well. They're battery pack, uh, really small battery packs, similar to those new Pro Photo B2s. They take a little battery pack, but the battery life on them is great. We can get through two weddings before we have to, you know, uh, okay. charge them up, which is awesome. Um, I usually top them up before every wedding, but I could, you know, I could get through a couple of weddings easily on these. Um, they're really, really good. But the big thing for us is just the recycle time on them is really quick. So it's, it's, uh, it works great. So both me and my wife shoot off them. So we'll be both like just bang, 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 bang on these lights and they just keep going all night. So it's, they're really, really good lights. Very happy with those. How about the exit? What do you do? Like, do you find you are there when the couples leave, or do you leave and the couples are still enjoying the party, or do you do sparkler um, exits with your couples? What? Uh... Yeah, of course, I've done. I've done them. As a matter of fact, I just did one this weekend. Um, I, you know, the way I do my timing is I say up to ten, 10 hours. <coughs> Excuse me, up to ten hours on the wedding day. So, I mean, if the sparkler exits, you know. At the twelfth hour, they're like, "Yeah, we want you to stay and shoot the sparkler exit." It's at two in the morning when we leave, you know. Then I will sort of say, "Well, if you if you want to pay me the ten hours, but generally, or for the overtime, but generally, um, I'm pretty flexible about that as long as, you know, it makes sense." Um, I started, for instance, this last weekend. I started getting ready pictures at two, and the wedding was scheduled to be done at eleven. Um, so I was fine, you know, and they said, oh, we're going to stay half an hour longer. So I was like, okay, you know, like to make them happy, I wasn't going to be a stickler about that. But, uh, I mean, it's a great shot, you know, I mean, now once you've done it a couple times, you're like, okay, well, just another sparkler shot. But, um, you know, again, I think the most important thing is we've done hundreds of these weddings and, and our couples have only got married one time. So you have to kind of keep that in mind that it's their first wedding and, you got to get rid of that little curmudgeon attitude, like oh, yep. yeah. yeah. But you know, <laughs> and for those of you that you know work on an hourly, then it is an opportunity. Like, all right, well, you want me to stay half an hour? You know, you're gonna make a little extra money for doing so. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, we always again check. We check in with our bride and groom about you know about a half an hour or so before it's you know before we're scheduled to depart. So again, a lot of our packages are based around a number of hours that they that they book us for. So if we're there for you know eight hours, ten hours, twelve hours, whatever time that is, usually about a half an hour before you know we just remind them, say, hey guys, you know, just remind we're done at nine or nine thirty or ten o'clock, whatever the time is. Um, is there anything you need you know, you want us to capture that we haven't captured? Are there any people here that we didn't get a photograph of you with? We kind of try to plant that seed about a half an hour beforehand because if we if we go up to them when we're leaving and say, okay, we're done for the night, that's in, invariably they're gonna say, oh wait, we got to get this photo. So we usually try to say about a half an hour beforehand, plant the seed, okay. And and sometimes they're running behind. 
And that's, they're like, oh, okay, well, we haven't done our first dance yet, or we haven't done the cake cut, or whatever it is. And then they'll usually speed up their timetable a little bit to make sure that that gets done before we, before we leave. Unless they're fine with paying the extra time and having us stay longer, um, then that's, again, that's a discussion that we have. But we usually try to, to catch them and grab them about a half an hour, 45 <laughs> minutes um, kind of beforehand. And usually, sometimes we'll do, we'll use the rings as an excuse. So we'll try to grab their rings from them at that point to go do ring shots. And then when we bring the rings back, we'll kind of remind them that, hey, we're, you know, we've got about half an hour, 45 minutes left. You know, here's what we have on our schedule for, you know, whatever's left on the schedule and then find out from them, is there anything else? And then once it's done, you know, of course, we, we make sure to say goodbye to our bride and groom. Uh, if we can find and track down the parents, I always like to say goodbye to the parents as yeah, well. And thank, thank them because um, often, you know, sometimes they're involved. Sometimes they've paid for it um, or helped pay for it. Um, and then the bridal party too. Like if they're nearby, you know, we'll try and say our goodbyes to the bridal party um, as well because that, you know, that's where your referrals come from. That's where your future weddings hopefully come from. Um, right. And if they had a good time with you and they remember that they had a good time with you, chances are pretty good that, you know, they if they're getting married or they know somebody getting married, they're much more likely to probably recommend you. Right. No, those are great tips. I do the same thing. Yeah. Um, how about slideshows? Before we kind of wrap, I know we kind of uh, at the end of the night before we kind of wrap it up. Do you do slideshows, same day kind of slideshows at the reception or? I don't. I mean, in the past, back in the day, like maybe I'd do a quick pick some pictures that I like and put them on the laptop and set them by the bar or something and let people see them. Generally with the type of clientele that I have, they don't want that. Um, so I sort of have to play that by ear, but it's a lot of extra work, I think. Um, so I don't more or less. Yeah, we, we don't either. I know when the, when the iPad first came out, I kind of was experimenting a little bit with that of bringing the iPad with us and then, you know, picking a few images and transferring a few images. But it's like with the with the cameras that we shoot, the Canon cameras, you know, they don't have any kind of Wi-Fi built into them. It's not particularly easy or it's, it's, it should be a lot easier than it is, um, but it's not. So you need some way, then you got to get the card out. And I mean, we're usually pretty rushed and short on time anyway. So to kind of do all that, um, it, it takes some time. If you, I mean, if you've got it, I think in your schedule and you've got the time to work with, I've heard really good results from photographers who have done it that have set up a same day kind of slideshow and set it up by the bar. And they said it, it's, it's led to some really good referrals and people calling them. So, you know, if you, if you want to do it, I think it's, I think it can be worthwhile, but you yeah, do yeah, have I to make sure you do about it. Yeah. You have to accommodate for it and even, you know, maybe have a second there that's, you know, second person that that's their job is to get some of the files off, do a little quick edit on them, put a little slideshow together of 10, 20 images. So, yeah. Excellent. Well, I think that kind of brings us to the parting is such sweet sorrow. That brings us to the end of the wedding day, I think so. And probably the end of, uh, of another episode. So I guess to kind of wrap things up, um, we want to remind you guys, if you want to learn more about us or any of the links that we talked about, you can head over to the blog post that will accompany this episode and you'll find that at thisweekinphoto.com slash weddings. Um, or you can also subscribe to the show on iTunes if you go over there. And remember to also follow us on Instagram. We're going to try and get some photos. I took a couple photos at WPPI, so I'm going to try and get those up on on Instagram as well. I think I got you in action at the Sony booth, Robert. So <laughs> I'll try and post those up on the Instagram account. Okay. Um, and as always, send your questions as well for the show at uh, twipwed at thisweekinphoto.com. So, Mr. Evans, what are you up to and where can people find you online? Do you have anything coming up that 
people should know about, and where can they find you? Well, I'm getting. I told you I just got back, and I've been sick, and so <clears throat> trying to get better. But I leave tomorrow to go do one of my super secret weddings. So next episode, I will tell you who and what. Ooh. ooh. And can uh, I guess? Can I guess? Is it Taylor Swift? <laughs> no, it's not Taylor Swift. I wish. <laughs> that's, that's one of my goals. She gets married someday. I need to do her wedding. Can I second shoot with you? Yeah, you and my daughter, and I'm sure I have a few other volunteers. So, Taylor, if you're listening. Yeah, Taylor Always. Swift, Robert Evans needs to shoot your wedding. Yeah, and Bruce Clark needs to assist. Um, so, yeah, I'm getting ready to leave to go do that. Um, and then I'm busy the next couple months, just a lot of traveling back and forth. Uh, New York... Where else am I going to be? Arizona. Uh, I have another uh, another job uh, destination wedding at the beginning of April, which will be fun. Uh, so yeah, I'm busy the next couple months. But um, if you want to follow me, find me, write me. Um, if it's show related, of course, write me through the TWIP show, but uh, my website is uh, robertevans.com, uh, Instagram is at robertevans, Twitter is at robertevans, and Facebook is robertevansstudios. Excellent. Fantastic. And if you are looking for me, um, you can find me online at momentsindigital.com. And if you're looking for me on the social networks, Instagram, Twitter, all the usual suspects, you'll find me at Bruce Clark, and Clark has an E at the end. And again, we want to remind you, just visit our website at thisweekinphoto.com and go to the wedding section and check us out. Well, thanks again uh, for listening to another episode of TWIP Weddings, raising the bar one wedding at a time. Mm -hmm.